Hey guys, it's Jason. Recently connected with a friend and ministry partner, Nick Snap of Miracles and Atheist Ministry, who you'll hear from in just a few minutes. I was so encouraged by Nick's enthusiasm to reach the lost that we decided to partner up together. So check out exclusive news and content regarding our progress over the coming weeks, including live events in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina and more. Thank you for your faithful viewership since the launch of 4Campus.org. Your generous support and media shares are making a direct impact on the most critical age group in the world, our future. To learn more, go to 4, that is the number for campus.org slash support to find out more how you can partner with us in this journey. Welcome back to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. Today's guest is Nick Snap of Miracles and Atheists Ministry. Nick is a seasoned evangelist and podcast host with a unique burden to reach people from diverse backgrounds and worldview to provide a space that both Christians and atheists can come together and debate some of the most important issues of our time. So without further delay, let's hear from our guest. Hey, Jason, what's going on, man? Living the dream, brother. Yeah, you mentioned the fairgrounds. Dude, I was impressed at how you just rolled right up on the atheist crew and you were like, at least for 30 minutes, you were just dropping wisdom on those folks, man. You know, the question that came up was the one that I asked the last student. I never really got the full answer, but it was, what would you do with, you had that encounter with God and you actually received that wisdom and that insight. What would you do with it? And one of the guys there, he was like, well, I wouldn't do anything because I would be fundamentally at odds with God. That's it now. Yeah. Wow. Well, no, that's interesting because I think Dawkins says the same thing, right? He goes, I used to say that, hey, if uh, there was like my name written in the sky and you know, mm, I'd that. down and say, I am real, he'd be like, well, I'd still convince myself that it was aliens or something. So I think there's this part of, you know, you're, you steer your conscience, but yeah, you just kind of steer that relationship after yeah. a certain point, you're too far gone, it seems like, which is, very unfortunate. Yeah. And this is one of those areas where, and I've heard different responses to that. Look, God created the heavens and the earth. He wrote his imprint, his image into this guy. He gave us his son as a tangible evidence of his existence in an incarnate form. And so I think what we're dealing with is logic. And part of that's just ignorance. If people had access to the right content, the right vocabulary, and even some of the right history, I think we would have different discussions, but that's generational issues. And then, Hey, by the way, if you want more information on that, I have the whole breakout of the worldview and how modernists and postmodernists think you can check that out on the episodes put in the show notes but yeah these are not new discussions we've all heard them so yeah real quick nick can you tell us a little bit about yourself and just your ministry and some of the stuff that you're doing currently absolutely yeah well i'm just kind of a normal dude i had big entrepreneurial dreams at one time in my life not that there's anything wrong with that the, the lord worked on me very significantly i had i think you and i were talking before we started recording control issues right so like i had this vision for international life now this was pre-covid those visions are completely squashed now although i do believe the lord's going to make this right one move the the family international want to give kids a, a different language experience. I have three little boys. I was just bent on doing it. So I worked for a Fortune 500 company and I had a great job, great career. When I look back on it, great work-life balance, all that kind of stuff. But I, I just wasn't having it. I hated being in that office, working for the man, having people tell me what to do. I wanted to start my own thing, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do, which is a common problem with the, the millennials have this problem. But I kind of had a, a sense of the how. But what happened was I started doing the business stuff. I started actually, I did quit corporate in 2015, started doing my own thing. And at some point along that journey, I said, man, I need to probably surround myself with people with high moral value. And so I tried to find some folks that were a little bit more Christian values as I was a Christian at the time. And I found a guy that I went to high school with, took me to his uh, print shop in our hometown. And, and he was telling me like they needed an administrator and they'd been looking for so long for a secretary, couldn't find somebody, couldn't find somebody. And he goes, I'm just fed up. So I brought everybody, I brought all the staff in the conference room and we prayed. You, you can do that in, in a company, you can pray. And he goes, yeah. And we prayed and then 
as we were leaving that meeting, a fax back in the day, fax came out on the machine and we had a resume and that woman's been with us for 12 years. So anyway, I came back to that meeting. He's telling me stories about how God relieved him from $400,000 worth of debt, miraculous type stuff. And I never really even, it just didn't compute with me because I never even really heard any stories of miraculous stuff. And I came home that day and I remember praying like, Lord, he's a Christian. I'm a Christian. What am I missing? What I felt in my spirit was, well, what's separating you from me is sin. And I had some stuff that was on me, you know, that I felt like I needed to confess. This, it was heavy. I'd pray. I was scared. And I remember feeling convicted to kind of write my sins down. This is a sort of supernatural experience. I've never done anything like this before. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm tired of being, I was at, kind of out of control in my life. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. And I remember like six months, maybe a year later, I'm, I'm evangelizing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm that guy that when I was a lukewarm Christian, I used to get annoyed by. Like I'm that guy now. I kind of, as I was talking in my mind thinking like, when did this happen? And it wasn't perfect after then. He started shedding stuff away from me at that time. That was my born again moment, man. I used to wonder what does it mean to believe? The Bible says, believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with your mouth and you yeah. will be saved. Well, I, I understood what confessing with your mouth meant, but I didn't know what it meant to believe in your heart. Right. And what he taught me from that was that believing is trusting. Is trusting every is giving me everything, and so it was like the the catalyst that I needed. So I put a post out there, and I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm tired of aggressive Christians. If we can't come together as the body of Christ, then what do the atheists and agnostics think?" I'm thinking about starting a project to address this. Let me know if you're interested in learning more. Wow. Dude, I had like 260 something odd comments, like 25 private messages. What is it you're working on? And so I struck a chord, right? And then I think a week later, I launched the live stream and I used to have, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to get a Christian that has some sort of miraculous experience. And I'm going to bring an sure. atheist on and I'm just going to facilitate the conversation. Just make sure it's civil. And this is the ministry that you lead now. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I used to go on for four hours, four hours on Facebook, like on a Thursday morning. So logistics mm -hmm. were horrible. I had three segments, an hour, 15 each. And we were just, you know, we had these stories. I mean, I learned so much. I was hitting the streets. I saw some miraculous stuff. I've seen like deaf ears open up in the Walmart parking lot. I've seen a lot of cool healings. I've seen just things that normal people don't see. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. So now I went from lukewarm to like actually affecting the kingdom of the enemy. But um, but yeah, I kicked the podcast back off, felt convicted to bring somebody else with me. I found the pastor here in Raleigh to do it with. Mm -hmm. And now we do it in public, which is crazy. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah, yeah that's how I met cool. you. And it's yeah. amazing how many people yeah. like started crowding around and, and just people passing by. I mean, I know if I wasn't saved and I walked by, I might be like, these people are crazy, but I'd probably still look. And yet yeah. I think what I even noticed were Christians from different backgrounds and different response. Some people were upset because they thought that that was not the way we're supposed to engage the culture. Uh, other people were just kind of like more antagonistic. Some A lot of people just passed by like, okay. But in that space, there were discussions points brought up from essentially two sides of the issue of is God real? Do supernatural things happen? And I think that that will be the conversation points for this podcast episode. Obviously, being a subject matter expert in this, interviewing people that have either been witness to miracles or hardcore skeptics that are like, here's all the evidence. This is why it can't happen. And so leading into the more the discussion of the podcast and just in review, you were of the Christian faith, or at least you were raised in a churched environment, right. but you disconnected from God. And what's interesting interesting is that's the same feeling of someone who has never been church and feels disconnected from God. But unless it's personalized for me and I have an experiential encounter, so no matter how morally righteous you could possibly, no matter how many man laws or God's laws that you could follow, there's something that's missing. There's a hole inside your heart that can't be filled by anything you put in there, even knowledge of God. And so it looks like you've had that encounter because you're explaining how 
Hey, at some point I was convicted. I wrote all my sins down, which are, you know, missing the mark. Basically when we have sin, when we talk about sin, cause we don't know who's listening to this and obviously where they're stand from, but we're talking about there's things in our heart that are not aligned with ultimately God's word and his will for our lives, his best for our lives. And he lays that out in his 10 commandments. He lays that out through the fact that we have a human heart that has a conscience. We don't know where that comes from. All right. So going to the next question here, you know, what advice would you have for people unsure about their belief in God? Maybe they're kind of on the fence uh, or they're just kind of like, look, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, why should people listen or why should people come to the, the Bible? There's so many other religions out there. And what are some of the responses you get typically in, in this space? So the way I answer that is, like I said, if you have truth, I want it, but I need to convince myself that you have mm. truth and I don't. So mm. it's a matter of diligence. I'm an engineer. Right. So I'm very analytical by nature. So this whole supernatural stuff, that's why it was so foreign to me. I just, it's just stuff. It's wispy. It's weird. It doesn't really resonate with me because I'm not naturally like that. Uh, getting back to the analytical piece, like if faith is the most important thing, if we're here for a purpose, mm -hmm. ultimately, like we're here for a reason. If you can actually wrap your head around the fact that we are here for a purpose, then you're like, okay, what is the purpose? All these people believe in Jesus. Why do they believe that? All these other people believe in Allah. Why do they believe that? You got the Mormons. Why do they believe? Did Joseph Smith really have his experience? Um, what's the deal with Buddha? And like, there's a couple of things. Like if you're a Christian struggling with your faith, like actually care enough to go research what all these other people believe. Yeah, there might be uncertainties. Of course, there's uncertainties and things that we don't know. Of course, there's some really strange things that happen in the biblical text. But if we have truth, then it's it should be able to back itself up. So I think being diligent enough to actually challenge your fundamental beliefs and the beliefs of others. But nobody wants to do that, man. People are lazy inherently, right? Yeah. They're just too concerned about self. When I start researching Islam and where that came from and how that mm -hmm. text was brought about and changed over the years and things were taken out and who Muhammad sure. was and like, I got to look at that stuff and I'm like, dude, it's not a very hard thing for me to question the, the authenticity of Islam. Islam. And yeah. I can do that with everybody. the Mormons, the same thing. You just kind of get to the heart, the foundation of how did this start? And then compare that to what we have in the Bible, try yeah. your best to, to get your, your biases off, have atheists challenge you and yeah. then say, yeah. what are they saying? What am I saying? And come to an answer for yourself. Just to, just to caveat this. And this is, this is an important piece. I don't actually get enough time to talk about this in discussions because I get drowned out by so many other heart level issues, but when we're talking about different religions and I actually have a this little pamphlet here. It's called Christianity cults and religions and it basically shows you all the different religions and how they compare against christianity and of course i've done new testament reliability like that's a big big topic but basically there's a field of science even that reviews textual criticism and textual criticism basically says hey if i have all these different discoveries and manuscripts or various items of different kinds you know pottery things like that the cumulative weight of all this evidence is going to demonstrate the historical reliability of an event of a person or a civil civilization of people, whether we're talking about Islam or they're talking about secular history, how do we know that Julius Caesar was a real person? Well, we got to find scrolls and we got to find evidence that have appealed to the reliability of this person. What we find in the New Testament is 100-fold the amount of historical evidence that supports not only the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, but history from the Jewish people, the Hebrews, and how they preserved their text. And that's a miracle because at one point they were completely dispersed all over the world and essentially 
wiped out, you know, to a certain degree by the Babylonians, by other nations, by even in recent centuries, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. And so the point is, is that we have to at least give some credence to the fact that there is surviving documents. They do point ultimately to these events and other people from outside of that faith, secular historians even basically say these people were alive. And now here's the thing is miracles are challenging. And this is where I'm going to pivot back to you as an expert, because there's an element of them that are subjective. But what happens when the subjectivity aspect of it is consistent with other people's testimony, now that becomes objective, because it's not just this person, this person, it's also this person at one level of the social hierarchy versus another, like a ruler, a Gentile ruler, someone who would have been in a position of authority with government above him, like a centurion, and also a commoner, people of different classes, just because they're all Jews doesn't mean they all get along, doesn't mean that they're all approaching things from the same angle. You have tax collectors, you have fishermen, you have Pharisees, total different approaches when it comes to the law. And what we see fast forward in Acts is we see in these disciples who have spent time with Christ, the Messiah, who have knowledge and insight that surpasses because it's not them, it's the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's God that's speaking through them. What is your response to some of that? Oh man, I don't want to like... What do you say to the skeptic? If the skeptic's questioning the reliability of the New Testament text or the events in the Bible, what are maybe some of the responses that you've heard or what would you offer? If you're questioning your faith, then it's an act of humility. And you say, Lord, please point me in the right direction. Instead of just blindly taking the atheist's lead and following what they're saying and saying, well, they seem so confident and so intelligent that that's probably the right answer. You go to the Lord first in humility and say, I don't get this. I remember it's happened to me multiple times, Jason, in my life where I, I remember one of the first times it ever happened to me before I was even born again, I read the Da Vinci Code and I was like, it seems kind of compelling. Yeah. And the next day there was a little gathering from a small church that was about the Da Vinci Code. It had just come out too. So it was new and they just mm-hmm. unpacked it. I'm like, that's just in a small local paper up in New York. When I lived up there with my wife, it was just Okay. And I kind of got through that, but he's done that so many different times. If I have a question about something, I go to him in humility. So that's the question about what do you do with your faith? You go to the Lord that you claim to believe in. And if he is real, he's going to answer. You have faith that he's going to answer you. And he will 100% of the time. I've never been let down by that. Yeah. And I've had the faith that he's answered me as well. That's the hardest thing, right? Because I'm telling you, like, instead of spending most of your life trying to disprove God, why wouldn't you just go on your knees in, in humility? If God is real and he does hear our hearts, I have never heard anyone and said, oh, did that, gave my life to Christ, and I was disappointed because he never showed up. Like, that's... That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, what you hear often is, I tried to give it a shot, but people were too judgmental. Yep, you're right, None man. of your friends, none of your friends that you ever worked with, colleagues, peers, professors, were ever judgmental, ever critical, then they, they weren't oh. your friends. You know what I mean? Right. My friends all the time tell me when I'm messing up. But we get our feelings hurt, right? And then we want to change. And when we change, we get further away from God's truth. I, I agree, man. That's so key. I think it's just getting on your knees. It's the fundamental stuff, and he gives you answers. Now, for the skeptic, the one thing I was saying that I, I feel like I just kind of came to me, maybe it was an answer of, of a prayer, but I've talked to so many atheists now throughout my short time doing this. And it always comes down to show me the empirical evidence that God exists. It's like the only way that God could ever exist to a lot of the atheist minds is if you can basically put him through the scientific method and test him empirically. Yeah. Like that's what yeah. they're looking for. And so I thought about that. I'm like, well, what if you use that way of thinking in a court of law? Like, mm-hmm. how would that work? Right. 
And so I started thinking about what type of evidence is actually yeah. admissible in the court of law. And there are so much different types of evidence. Now there's like the, the, the four types of overall evidence, demonstrative, documentary, testimonial, and like just real evidence. Yeah. But then under there, there's so many different subcategories of evidence that are admissible. And so you think about that piece, which is really kind of, in my mind, at least, that's really what would convince a person or a group of persons that something's real is using that sort of evidence, not like empirical testing. Because if empirically, you can't prove that. Yeah. It was a weird kind of thought that came to me. For me, I'm like, okay, well, I asked the atheist, if God is real, what could he do to prove himself to you? What would be yeah. admissible in your mind? And I've gotten a couple answers that I thought were kind of cool. Uh, others are just sort of a change the subject, hand-waving sort of exercise. And I haven't got anything concrete, but I did have one time. She goes, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to St. Jude's Hospital, and we're going to go find these kids that have terminal cancer or something like that, and we're going to pray. And we're going to get somebody to, to look after your prayer, some resident expert, and they're going to basically judge whether the person was cured from that prayer or not. And that was the first time any atheist ever gave me something that I could work with. Mm -hmm. When you actually then, okay, well, let's go together and let's go pray together. Like, come with me. I haven't had any atheists. Not that I've tried really, really hard, sure. but I haven't had any atheists accept that invitation. I've asked that multiple times that, hey, look, like we're going to go out in the streets and pray. Come with me. I've had one person come with me and he was kind of blown away. He's like, Nick, he goes, yeah. I'm an atheist. I went out there with you. I, he actually had him filming. And he goes something along the lines of like, I was kind of moved. Like I was part of this, you know, yeah. like, he would go up to somebody and there was pushback or people started yelling. He's like, it was just a weird thing. And what the thing was, the presence of God was there. He felt it. And he didn't know how to handle it. And so there's an experience that happened. Did he become a Christian that night? No, he didn't. But he had an opportunity to accept or reject what was happening in front of him. Yeah. Right. And we don't know how God's so, going to use that. And we don't know yeah. the outcome of it wasn't just for that man. It was for everyone there. It was also for God. God did what he did through your heart and through his heart. Uh, I wanted actually, just based on what you mentioned, the example you used about the courtroom and the same principles applying to this context. There's a guy, he's a famous apologist. His name is Jay Warner Wallace. He writes the Cold Case Christianity. Yeah. I think he was a police detective. And he kind of takes it from that approach, you know, looking at evidence and what would actually stand up. And if you look at Christ's ministry, all the evidence for not only his life, death, and also the evidence after he was resurrected and subsequent encounters, witness testimony, all the corroborating factors there it's like if you actually approach this as a crime scene, the evidence would stand weight in trial. And so that's something that we can use as an apologetic tool. And the other thing is, this is something I pulled not that long ago. And this is actually maybe encouragement for people who are like, you're being challenged by an atheist, or even in your own conviction, you're on a journey and you're like, I really needed God in this part of my life. There was a lot of brokenness or what happened to my friend that committed suicide, something. Just because an immediate need or issue is not met by God does not mean that God still isn't involved in your life. And it does not mean that God isn't good. It means that one, we don't know God's plans, but what we do know is his word and his word is consistent and his word is trustworthy. And here's an example. Let's go back Old Testament here. There was a young Jewish man and his buddy, his name was Daniel. The Babylonians took the elite Jewish youth and doctrinated them into their culture is a whole other discussion we're going to talk about. This is why I go and reach students is because the same things happen in college campuses. They're being indoctrinated into a world culture that is devoid of theism. It's devoid of their own self-worth and God's goodness. And we see right here in Daniel 3, 16, for the sake of context, if you haven't heard the story, I'll post notes in there and maybe some good articles to read up on this. But Daniel and his friends, their Babylonian names is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this big statue himself. He wants people to bow down and worship him. Lots of parallels to the world system and, you know, kings and rulers. This is their reply to them. We're not going to bow down to you. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this way. The people in the court, they knew that these young men still feared God. These are teenagers. If we are thrown into this burning furnace that they set up, we know God is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your hand as well. 
It's pretty bold, right? Oh, Here's yeah. the thing, right? Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. King was irate, set the thing up seven times what it was supposed to be, threw them in there. And you know what happened? A man shows up in the midst of them, having the qualities and characteristics of Christ. And Jesus does this throughout Old Testament. He shows up, priests of Melchizedek, all these different people, King of Salem. And what's interesting is the young men are preserved and they come out of that unscathed. And when we find out later, King Nebuchadnezzar submits and humbles himself to God. Just because God doesn't meet this meaning, just because there's a loss or just because things don't work out in your youth, you're stuck and you're not sure where to go and you've tried to pray to God and you went on your knees, does not mean God still doesn't plan for you. And I know because I once was an agnostic atheist leading people away from Christ. And through my own attempts to be moral and pure and righteous, failing constantly, fast forward, I get saved. I start that journey with God because everything I've tried to do on my own did not work. I go to church, right? Because, hey, look, these people might have something I don't, right? They seem to be happy. They seem that the marriages seem to be intact. They seem to have a sense of self-worth or value, community. I go on that journey two years later after searching, using reading all these books, right? All these intellectuals, all the dead guys, C.S. Lewis, all these people, brilliant guys, right? Praying doing all this thing. Two years ago, I'm in a prayer room like I normally are with a bunch of men and have an encounter, an existential encounter with Jesus Christ. Can't explain that in human words, only the fact that I know God is real. I know his entire word's true. How do I know that? It's because what I have read, what I have experienced in relation, not just to the people in my community and fellowship, but people who have long passed, people that wrote these books that have seen with their eyes and felt with their hearts is consistent. What's interesting is now when you have the Holy Spirit, you have the appropriate lens, the relationship to view God's word as is written. It will not make sense if you do not have the Holy Spirit. It'll be good teachings on the human heart and morality and some history that kind of doesn't align with the secular worldly view of history because there's lots of deception there and there's also lots of inaccuracies there but at the end of the day it's redemptive and god has worked through human means to accomplish and ultimately fulfill as well if you guys want to learn more about the ministry please go to four that is the number four campus.org or shoot an email directly at fourcampusorg at gmail.com so we can send that out to you as soon as possible also i'm really excited to talk about the training series we get to hear from real practitioners who are on the front lines whether locally or globally as well as exploring truth in God's word that can have an impact on your personal journey, including those in your spirit influence. All right, let's get back to the show. So as we're kind of going along here, we're, we're just kind of a little bit halfway into this. Now we're talking to the students, the young people. What encouragement do you have for them and how do they actually survive the culture that they're stepping into with hope in their heart, knowing that they're going to come across conflicts? Yeah, the word of encouragement is that there's answers to the challenges that they're receiving from the world, right? The college environment's so heavy. It's so um, laced with atheism and cases, just satanic principles that they have an opportunity to be a light out there if they're willing to take the risk. Like we talked about earlier, faith is risk. Right. To be the ones to plant the seeds of doubts in the atheist mm -hmm. minds if they take that challenge. When we do that, man, it's scary, sure. There's fear behind it and you're gonna get persecution. Like when you're in it and you get over that hump, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's why you're created to do this stuff. You know it. And so the encouragement is that yeah, you, you can do it because God's word is true. Mm -hmm. and nobody's really proved it wrong. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. And it's tough when 
at that age, I've met a few students that really are just, they got it. And you don't know if that's just how they're presenting themselves. Like I've seen some where they kind of kept it under wraps. And then I found out they were like the leader of a, one of the Christian groups on campus. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just come out and say that? It's, you know, so there's, there's a lot of gray areas with the stuff. A lot of people don't know where you're coming from and, you know, what your approach is. But it sounds like what you're saying is, hey, there's more opportunity now if you're willing to actually take that step of faith, because maybe that other student in your class or your dorms, your suite mate, or, you know, people in your circle relationships in your classes may actually be looking for you to share that truth. And I've noticed even just how diverse these campuses are. You have people coming from other parts of the world where atheism or secularism or belief in a God that hasn't touched them on a human level, and you can share your faith on a brush canvas. Those relationships are going to be huge because now they're leaving what's familiar to them. And if they're coming into a land where someone shares them the gospel and they're authentically living it out the best way they can, how much more convicting they go back now to their country or they stay here as a representative of their country, but with a different worldview shift. And I've seen that even on the campus there. It's not that, oh, you grow up in the Middle East and you're only going to believe in Allah. No, it's you grow up in a part of the world. If you're devoid of that light in your home, now you're coming into the presence of truth and wisdom. And that should rock you. It should get you to question, like call, talk to your parents. Why do we believe these things? Agreed. Yeah, the, one of the best resources I found from, you talked about Middle East, but I'll say, hmm. if you approach an African, you're hard pressed to find an atheist in Africa because there is so much hmm. witchcraft Anism and, and yeah, all kinds of and witch doctors and stuff. Like if you just show them that your God's more powerful than the ones they're serving, man, like it's mm. it's actually not as hard of a sell. Now, the great research for folks from Middle East, I learned so much and there's so many more resources out there, but this one's just really tangible for me is seeking Allah, finding Jesus. Man, okay. that okay. just, they had the wherewithal and the personal integrity to look mm. at both faiths, Christian and Islam yeah. from an objective worldview and lay however it would lay. And they both had their criteria of how they're evaluating and what they'd accept and what they'd not. They're academics. So they went through the rigor of evaluating the beliefs and why they believed it. And I was just blown away that how, honestly, how easily Islam could be disproved. It, a lot of it, I've, I've heard high level debates on this stuff uh, with leading imams and Christian apologists. And a lot of it does hinge on textual criticism. A lot of it is the history. The longer the history, the more evidence you're going to typically find, the more scrutiny and criticism you're going to find. And it's difficult when there's politics involved, when there's sure. in recent memory, terrorism, and lots of ideologies that are thrown around. So it gets tricky on a human level. But when you just look at the fact that how recent is this religion, the consistency of not only the text, but also the key events throughout history and how they played out. Anytime you have a single source text from a single author or for a limited amount of authors, it gets messy. Sure. Moses may have wrote a significant amount of the Old Testament, but he wasn't the only writer. You had plenty of other scribes that helped write those things. You had Joshua, you had all the minor and major prophets, kings, common people. Then you had New Testament. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, but you also have the disciples. You had some of the scribes. You had Luke. You had other writers. So it's not just one person. Here's the fundamental difference. And I'd argue this. You can look at this whole pamphlet of all these different religions. I would love to have that, actually. Here's something that fundamentally, the difference between Christianity, if we're talking about the person of Jesus, the term is not universal. You have Christian science. That's not Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. So let's say biblical Christianity, Old and New Testament. You don't find any other major religion. You do see schisms and you do see different beliefs in this, but you don't find that your principal prophet or your principal messenger or the central figure of that religion has not only claimed divinity with God, has made truth claims that have been validated evidentially through testimony, through material. You can go to Israel today. You could walk the places where Jesus walked. They find discovery. They find a stone with Pontius Pilate name on it. They find houses of worship 
Egypt where they excavate and they find mosaic tiling, you know, things from that era. They're relatively near that era, some that predate it. So they have a, a record before, during, after where Jesus is claiming Godhood, not just of himself, but he's healing back to Yahweh. So Old Testament, the monotheistic God, the creator God, and what he is saying, and I'll give you an example. I mean, this is the one of those common ones, but you go to Genesis chapter one, verse one, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we scroll down later and says, let us make man into our image. God's invoking his triune nature, his triune form, spirit of the water, spirit hovering over it, right? So you're seeing the creator God. And then we fast forward to John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, you know, and so you see consistency. You see when God says, I am, he's appealing to the same word in scripture that God spoke to Abraham, to Moses, that I am sent you, the God of my fathers is consistent when Jesus brings that in. And here's the thing is the Jewish people try to kill him and rebuke him for that because that is considered blasphemy. Although if you're perfectly fulfilling God's word, it's not. And that's why you had people like Paul, who was a high ranking priest of their sect, basically cross examine examining Jesus and seeing consistently Christ's our criteria. And that's why he becomes one of the biggest advocates of the faith, writing letters to not only Jews, but Gentiles going to the area of Phagus and basically preaching the unknown God among the pantheon God saying, Hey, this God's alive. You also have other people going and interviewing those witnesses who were still alive at the time. And they were attesting to this as well. And so I'm speaking as if to someone who has never heard this, if they had never heard the Bible, because we can't always assume today that people know what we're talking about. They can. I kind of wanted to shift from the student to the evangelist and the minister, because we're, we're unpacking deeper truth right here. And I think that the people going out, you're going to have these conversations with students are going to challenge you on a fundamental level, God's existence, because if they can like the Da Vinci code, right? You mentioned earlier, if you can find one little strand, one little hair, the attempt of the atheist or the secularist is to dismantle all of it. So yeah. all the consistency of scripture doesn't mean anything. If I can challenge this one little moral decision of God, it's something minutia like that, that existed in a long time ago and a culture that also had its own issues that God was trying to rectify and, and reconcile. Yeah. So what would you have to say to the evangelist or campus minister? What encouragement would you have for them coming across these kinds of questions and some of the challenges that they're facing? Well, I think the encouragement is that people are hungry right now. I've seen it. Kind of like we you said for the students out there. Well, the students can actually have an opportunity to be a light. But for the campus ministers, know that despite all the darkness that we're seeing, this essential gospel message totally throws them off. They don't know, a lot of them don't know what it is. And so this thing's about dying to yourself. Jesus died to save us from our sins. Very few people have met genuinely on fire, non-hypocritical, non-judgmental Christians. Not many people have met that type of person. And if you can be a light out there as a campus minister and the spirit of God is on you and you have Jesus in you, all you gotta do is let him come out. And that's what people want. We wanna get all heady and intellectual, but you let the spirit of God work through you. If you're praying before you approach somebody, Lord, what is it you want me to say to this person? He's going to tell you, and you don't have to even work hard. You got to get the message right. You got to know what the gospel says, of course, but don't be nervous about person either receiving it or not receiving it. What I've kind of learned is that even the people that don't receive it, a lot of times you planted a seed that someone else is going to water and it's fine. But that's not a cop-out to say you don't have to share the message with that person, that particular person. The encouragement is a lot of people actually do want to hear the message, even though you wouldn't think they do. And if you actually humbly submit yourself to the Lord, he's going to lead you to the right people. And so just be encouraged that he's going to do that and go out there and do his work. I think you answered that next question about, you know, how important is it to get the gospel right? Yeah. Um, I very much started off with the intention of listening. In the moment I came across a few students that just wore me down, man, they, I lost track of it was just to be a light right. it was to literally have that conversation and let them know that they're not alone yeah to this day the best student 
I've ever interviewed. It was on the Voices page. This guy, a young man named Robbie, and uh, he's like one of the first students I interviewed. He was he was a little nervous when I approached him. He wasn't sure. He was he had a stuttering issue. I cleaned that up. But that's the beauty about what I can do with that podcast. If they got stuttering issues or they're nervous, they sound like a completely different person when I'm done cleaning up. But I know it's empowering, encouraging for them. But when we finished, he had said, "Thank you." That was the first time since I was young where I met someone like a Christian and we actually felt really encouraged. I felt better about it. I have a feeling at some church rooms and stuff. He's like, yeah. And you know what, to me, like that's, that's huge. Absolutely. Finding a Christian that actually walks it out. Yeah. It's yeah. very rare. It's something I got discouraged and I want to put it down. Like, I don't want to get stuck in a routine. That's like a cookie cutter thing. What we do is we're trying to corner God and make this ministry. And it's like taking a tabernacle and saying, God's going to show up here. And what we do is we create the event. The discussion may be completely irrelevant to what God's doing, even in that marketplace. Dude, that's so true, man. People ask me what went well or whatever. I say, what went well is the stuff that I didn't see. That's mm. the second live event that we've done. Somebody got led to Jesus the first live event and they got led to Jesus this live event too. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It, but I didn't have anything to do with it. It was a forum for bringing people around the Lord. And so people come for whatever reason, but it empowers people yeah. to, to actually have these tough conversations. Yeah. That's what I love about it, man. I'm not, like, so, first of all, I'm, just saying, I'm not saying we need to pack it all up. What I'm saying is, is that the approach should not change, but the cultures change the way that we engage. We no longer have the culture behind us supporting us. We don't have our lawmakers behind us now. Now we're in this neutral to hostile environment where yep. it's sink or swim. And so we're not necessarily changing our relationship and our beliefs. But when the church was persecuted, Paul is putting himself in positions where he's going to immediately get beat up and in jail, prison. And so fast forward, Christianity's had the long history of just rise and fall, all that. Even in this country, it was literally only into like probably the last 40 years, 50 years, where that has significantly shifted to where just in that relatively small period of time, now we're starting to see things happen in our country where we're going to have to start going on the offensive. We're going to have to start engaging in biblically healthy ways, the talking points. And this isn't politics. It's not ideology. If we don't yeah. talk about abortion, if we don't talk about these issues of the dignity of a human life, it's about the language. Language. It's not about free speech. It's about what is ultimately true and honorable and building up of a culture and a family and a society. That I think it's just a different approach. Yeah. What yeah. Do you I think? think what you're saying, the time has passed for us to be able to sit back and have our social club and everybody mm -hmm. genuinely accepts it. You can't be lukewarm anymore. You've got to choose if you're going to compromise or not. But the fact during COVID, you're really seeing the separation of the wheat and the chaff, which is a reference mm -hmm. for your listeners of a biblical concept where weeds are going to grow up around the wheat. Like if you're planting a field and somebody sows weeds they're going to grow. But if you pull the weeds out too early, they're going to be pulled out with the actual with crops. The ones, yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you, they got to grow up together. And then at the harvest, you separate the wheat from the yeah. chaff and the chaff gets burned up. And I'm seeing it, man. Those churches that compromised, uh, refused, they're bowing to the enemy and they're going to stay yeah. shut down and they're just going to do everything the world tells them so that they can be comfortable. And they're going to yeah. make a platform like that, man. You're seeing those churches fall and you're seeing the ones that stayed bold, even out in places like California. Mm -hmm. And they are blowing up right now because the world has not really seen for a long time the bold ambassador for Jesus that we're starting yeah. to see now. And yeah. it's an exciting time. Could it be scary? Yeah. I mean, a lot of concerns that are happening these days, but if we end up losing our heads for Jesus, then do we really believe what we believe? I think even two years ago, I would have said it was completely outrageous to think that we could ever get our heads chopped off for following Jesus. But dude, we're seeing things nowadays where it could happen. And it's that boldness 
that's going to allow the glory of the Lord to cover the earth, like it talks about in Habakkuk. Yeah, man. There's uh, I want to get this article up. I know it's in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. There was a guy, like this is like during gladiatorial games, and he was a Christian. He was basically calling the whole place to repentance, like, hey, like n- enough of this bloodshed. Like, and this is a time where, like, you know, people like they love this stuff. This isn't like football, you know, this is like blood sport, and they were throwing slaves, Christians, and other cultures that were serving to Rome into this arena. I mean, most people there were slaves and this guy in the crowd was just like enough, like no more. And of course they stoned him or I think they threw him in there and he was killed. And because of his sacrifice, like the entire arena just left. Or you know what he was? He prayed to God. That's what he did. He prayed to God and said enough. And I think since then, there's never been another gladiatorial game ever. Amen. I'll see if I can find it, but just... You know, just kind of wrapping up everything here. And obviously, dude, I really appreciate your time. There's a lot more to cover. Um, I definitely feel like we just started to unpack the Pandora's box here with a lot of the issues. But I'll just say for the interest of, you know, continuing the conversation, how can people follow not only what you're doing with the Miracles and Atheist podcast and just some of the other ministry you guys are doing in Durham and some of the surrounding areas? Uh, What's what's some good resources, maybe books that you recommend, videos, you've done documentaries and movies before? What do you think is most kind of needed for the student or maybe the campus minister in the space and how can people find out more about you? Well, the easy answer to your question is you can go to miracles, plural, and A-N-D, atheists, plural.com, miraclesandatheists.com. Sure. And you podcast and uh, some of the things that we're doing at the various platforms. We meet at the Raleigh Market the first Saturday of every month. Now that was when you came to my event. Uh, it was the first time we'd ever done it. It was kind of a trial run. I believe and you it guys did. are organized. Oh. You had like the tent up and the eat switchboards, yeah, cool. the the YouTube thing going on. I'm like, dude, I'm just I got like a handheld mic and <laughs> that's it. Well, hey, nothing like yeah. stretching yourself. But it's yeah, far right. as coming out, no matter what you believe, we're gonna have an open mic and Q and A, and that and let's just hash through a lot of these questions that people need to hear about. And sometimes people don't want to talk about them. They just want to listen. So we're really going to provide a forum for doing that. I guess the second part of your question is what do I recommend in books and resources and things like that? I mean, I mentioned one already from the, one of my favorites uh, is Muslim apologetics books is seeking Allah, finding Jesus. I, I think um, there's a lot of good folks out there, man, a lot of good resources, but I, I would just say, okay, really you, you want to go to the, what's your sticking point when it comes to your faith and who's the subject matter expert around that point? research what they have to say. Don't be lazy. Get in there and dig these things out. I mean, Dr. Berg, who was representing yeah. the Christian worldview at my event, he's uh, he's really done a great job with the New Ager and mm-hmm. even the New yeah. Age Christian. And so you look at like, what, is, what does New Age even mean? Uh, start reading some of their stuff and you'll, you'll really get into it. But man, like I said before, get in front of the Lord and ask him to point you in the right direction. Yeah. Your struggle. Yeah, I agree. And there's a lot, man. There's so many good podcasts and resources out there, but you're not going to reach anybody for Jesus if you're just sitting behind your desk studying and yep. reading books, man. You've got to apply what you're doing. The two most important things I can recommend is read the Bible and do the Bible, man. Yep. I mean, that's a very simple way to look at it, but it's kind of cliche. You've got to go out and do when Jesus says, as you go, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers cast out demons, raise the dead. Like that's a command. It's in uh, Matthew 10, seven. It's not an option. And so what does that mean? Is that a salvation issue? Well, no, it's not a salvation issue, but you have a Lord now. If you're a Christian, you have a Lord that you're following, you're giving your life. The Lord asks you to do something, you do it. And there's fruit from that. And you're not doing it to get the fruit, but you're doing it because we're created to do these things. So find crazy people that are willing to take the risk with you and go out there and have fun in this life, man. Like this is why we're here. So why not take the, the biggest advantage you can? I agree, man. And he 
does show up. Um, um, so just kind of wrapping up, we'll talk shop afterwards, but I just really had a great time here. Definitely appreciate those resources for, and uh, we hope to have you again, man. Hopefully we can do another crossover or maybe even a live event. Guys, you're in the Raleigh Durham era students. You go to NC State, check out Nick, go to the, it's free to get in, right? I think it's like free to go to the Raleigh Fairgrounds and yeah, grab a Chiro and uh, watch Nick's Miracles and Atheist Tent. You guys always set up in the, the same place? In front of the restrooms. I don't know. There's a lot of echoing going on with that building yeah, last week. Yeah. We're going to try to optimize that space, but we'll be in the Raleigh Market. Hopefully there's buzz going on. You'll be able to find us too. It's not yeah. homemade pottery and it's a group of people around there. It's probably Nick, you know, out there at the Miracles and Atheist Tents, you know, duking it out. So uh, guys, appreciate it. I will post information in the show notes for all the resources Nick provided. And all right, take care, Nick. You too, man. Thanks, Jason. I enjoyed it. Thank you again for tuning in to Solomon's Knot, a production of 4campus.org and its related partners. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this channel on any of the major podcasting platforms by searching 4campus.org or Solomon's Knot, whether it's in Stitcher, Google or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We also want to partner with you in your journey with Jesus. So if you have any questions directly or you're wanting to meet face-to-face and you're within the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, please shoot out a message directly through our website and check out some of the content on there, whether it's the questions page or even voices from other students. We're also looking to partner with churches or ministries that have similar missions of engaging youth and students within the local community. We want to thank you again for tuning in and check us out next time for more information on our new partnership with Nick Snap of MiraclesAndAtheist.com. Peace.